Welcome to Every Step Podcast. I'm Christina Weston. And I'm Judith Beck. Every Step is the podcast where career and life meet. With a new guest every episode, we explore the gutsy issues affecting everyone in the workplace. Who doesn't love a good story? The more experiences we have, the more stories we collect along the way. We use these stories to share wisdom or as warnings to avoid the mistakes that we've made. Today, we're joined by Gabriel Dolan, who after a long stint in corporate, now teaches people how to tell better business stories. Gabriel is a well-known, successful author, and her most recent is Magnetic Stories. Welcome, Gabriel. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Thanks, Christina. Really good to be here. Today, we're going to be exploring the power of effective communication. I think that's a subject that you're very well versed in. As leaders, I observe that many of us have learned to be really direct and just get straight to the point. But is that is that really working for us? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, clearly sometimes that's warranted. But, um, you know, I've, I've been doing this for 18 years and I think one of... Um, one of the things I love about my job is when I teach people, you know, senior leaders how to tell stories better. Some of them just say to me after the, you know, the training, it was like, I'd never even occurred to me to share stories to communicate. So it sort of almost like feel like I give them permission to say, yes, it's okay. It is professional, but also the capability how to do it because, um, you know, we, we need to adapt our communication style to, to the audience and the situation. But does it mean we need to become sort of, actors on the stage I mean part of it is about how do we how do we tell those stories and say stay true to who we are because some of us some of us aren't good storytellers yeah so look a couple of things in there it, it is not acting on the stage I'm a big I think that's some of the concerns people think oh you've got to be the big extrovert or whatever it is absolutely sharing stories that mean something to you and in a way so it's totally authentic and your style this is this is um this is like a day-to-day leadership and communication skill. So it's it's certainly not, you know, acting or in fact, I think I think when you're acting and putting it on, mm. people actually see through that. Um so yeah, it's 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 not about that. And um, and I was gonna say something else really insightful then, but I forgot. So I'm sure I'll come back. Yeah, because it. it's easy to kind of for it to be contrived. If you're not a natural storyteller, it's easy for it to come across really contrived yeah so, yeah uh, so so what I was going to say you just reminded me we are all natural storytellers so some we as humans we are natural storytellers but you're right when sharing stories for a purpose in business and you know we really want to get a message across or it, there's a skill involved and definitely like anything some people are better at it than others um but it's a skill that can be taught and learned so that is definitely the case and yes the the, one of the mistakes you can do is almost like overscript your story so mm. it feels contrived. Or the other thing about contrived is it's feeling like you're trying to manipulate. So to me, storytelling is about influence and it's about inspiring. The moment we try to do something that's either we don't believe in, it starts to feel like manipulation and that that is when it it's, doesn't work. Well, you know, I, I always, mm. I always um, uh, believe that with any kind of stories or anything that you're going to say in a work environment, well, one, the truth is easier to remember. 
So, you know, keep that in your mind and you'll think, okay. And when, um, I know when I was advising candidates who were going for, uh, when I was running my executive search business, who were going for jobs, storytelling came into telling about your achievements. And I used to say to them, you got to keep it, you got to keep it simple. Like, what was that situation? How did you get there? And what was the result? Because Mm. You might have 10 achievements and the person who's listening on the other side, they want to hear, they want to hear it, but they got to believe it. They've got to believe that you actually were the person who was responsible for that achievement. And if you can't tell that story about how you got there and what those numbers were and what the achievement was, they're probably not going to believe it. Yeah. So there's two things I always say. The story's got to be true and believable. And they're very different things because a story could be not true and believable. Um, a story could also be true but not believable. So you've you've got to strike that balance of being true and believable. And you're absolutely right. When the story's true, it's much easier to remember. So I when when you tell a story and re retell when retell it, you don't just retell it, you relive it. So people sense that. And if it's made up or exaggerated to the point that's not true, um, you people sense something. So if you're making up stories, you that's when you want to be a really good actor. You need to be a really good actor if you're making stories up and you want to have a brilliant memory because it will come undone. So, um, and the believable bit is, yeah, to, to me, when you're telling the stories about the great things you've achieved, I would actually focus more on the struggles you overcame or the lessons you learned as opposed to the outcome you achieved. And I, and I would almost avoid the step-by-step-by-step process because that then starts to turn into a case study and not a story. Well, I used to always say to him, you need to keep it within that five-minute period because... Yeah, well, I, I even go, so Judith, I even go less than that. I go 90 seconds to um, two, no longer than two minutes. Elevator um, pitch. Yep, yep. And then, yes. and, then, and then people can then, uh, especially in something like a job interview, keep it really short. And if they want to know more, they will ask more questions. And that is so much more engaging and better than just you rambling on for, you know, five or 10 minutes in the one answer. I love yeah, what you and said. It would also depend on the level that they're going for. So somebody in a junior level is going to need to keep it short and sweet, but somebody at a general manager level is probably going to have to give enough that then that person will probe more. But like you said, just give them, give them a, a enough for them to be interested to say, how did you do that? Yeah, exactly. Can you elaborate on that more and um, tell the story that way? I love what you said about reliving it because that then says to me it's about connecting to the emotion of the experience. And um, we've been I've been watching all these um, idol shows, the, the singing competitions, and the single biggest criticism that the judges have of a lot of these singers is that they haven't actually connected to the message and the story of what they're doing. So when I heard you say you've got to relive it, it really made me think about connecting into the emotion because it's the emotion of the experience that carries the story, isn't it? Yeah. Well, if there's no emotion, there's no story. So, again, I, you know, just talking about case studies before. Case studies are not stories because they're a practical thing of what happened. There's very little emotion in them. They can be. depends on the way they're told. But you're right. When you retell a story and you relive it, you feel the emotion. So 
you know, it could be pride, it could be whatever. That's why sometimes when people start sharing the story, they go, oh, oh, my goodness, I don't know what's overcome. And they can feel the emotion and it actually surprises them. Again, I see this all the time in my workshops. People will share a story and they'll go, oh, oh, I don't know what's happening to me. I go, it's called emotion. It's okay. Um, you, and you can't help that. You can't control because, again, it's human. So the story taps into emotion and the benefit of that the other side of that is and there's all this research to show that when you share a story people not only connect to the story and they connect to the story because it taps into emotion but they connect to you as the storyteller so it starts to build trust and strengthen relationships and I should just point out here when I say emotion I'm not talking about emotional like you got to get all upset as human beings we are hardwired to tell stories we're hardwired to listen to stories and it taps into emotion. We, we have no control of it, but it just, you know, that's that's the effect of a story. Well, you know, you kind of you, you kind of think that in a work environment, um, especially in today's work environment, so we're having Zoom meetings now all the time. People are, only some people are going into the office and there's a bit of a disconnect. I mean, how are we going to ensure that the next generation's are going to be effective in storytelling because it is important or be effective in communication because it's all part of it. If you're able to communicate, well, then you can do this, you know, you can learn the story part as well and you'll be good at it after you practice and people mentor you as well. How's, have you seen, have you seen a lot of changes in how in the work environment lately over the last year or so of what's happening in that regard? I absolutely have. So when COVID hit and we went all into lockdown, so we were physically disconnected from everyone, um, I, interest in storytelling soared. Like, so I, I was just getting phone calls from everyone saying we wanted, we still want to do professional development and we think storytelling would be a, a good way to make that connection because we are physically connected. So I think COVID has made people realise the importance of connection and when you can't get the physical connection, you need to have the emotional connection and that and storytelling does that. I also think, yeah, we, we're, still doing, we're still doing a lot of Zoom meetings and virtual calls. The one thing, story, a really well-told story grabs people's attention. And so if you're, if you're running a virtual meeting, even just with your team, we all know that uh, when we're in a virtual situation, there's so many more distractions. I mean, people are checking their phone, they're patting the cat, they're probably walking around listening to it and cooking dinner. So there's so many more distractions going on that a story will actually get people's attention back. So storytelling has become even people see it as more critical in a virtual world and absolutely um, just vital when, you know, we, we are more physically disconnected and even, you know, we're never, we're never going to be going back into the office five days a week again. Um, I, and I and believe me, I think that's one of the great things that have come out of COVID. So yeah. leaders, leaders need to find a way to connect and engage and storytelling is one of the most powerful skills they can learn to do that. Yeah, because we're all after community. We're all after a sense of belonging. And, and how else do we connect unless we're authentic, unless we're real, unless we, you know, I guess people don't really think about it as storytelling, but it's about drawing people in with 
real information and real experiences that are that are told cleanly and simply yeah yeah and it, it's it, christina i often say we you know for years and years and years we've been talking about bring your whole self to work mm. and, and what it took was a global pandemic and for everyone to work from home that we actually saw we literally saw this tiny glimpse this square on a zoom call into their life and all of a sudden people are going, oh, I didn't know you had a cat or I didn't know you had a kid or is that guitar in the background yours? I didn't know you played guitar. And, and that, just this tiny little little box on a screen gave us a glimpse into people's life. Now, now that's not storytelling, um, but the reality is people will tell a story. It was like, yeah. oh, how, how did you, you know, how did you get into surfing or whatever it is? And they will by default tell a story because they're humans. It's kind of like in the old, you know, when um, we went from offices to open plan and hot desking, so many people complained because they thought that was going to take away the um, ability to walk by someone's desk and see a photo of their family and break the ice and say, oh, is that your family or, um, oh, your team or, you know, those icebreakers. So mm. therefore, hot when hot desking came, everybody had to put everything in their lockers. So that took away that sort of random type conversation. Well, now at least with Zoom, like you said, they, someone has a, a has a, a surfing board, a surfboard behind in the scene. They can mm. say, "Oh, you surf. Oh, you do." So it can be an icebreaker form. But I'm curious to know on what about in a work environment and storytelling? What happens when people overshare? How is that affecting? How can that affect their their job, like if they're going, well, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to share, you know, something that's really personal and I'm overshared. What happens? Yeah, that, that, that can be a problem, but I, Judith, I think we are so, so far away from overshare. Like I, I, you know, I've been doing this for nearly 18 years and I think I could count on my hand the examples of people going too far. And, and that happens for a couple of reasons. One is they actually don't realise the impact of what they're saying, that it could be taken the wrong way. The main reason and is done because they haven't um, healed from what they're talking about. So they're talking about something that is still so raw for them and it, it's potentially maybe not oversharing, but the end result is everyone feels sorry for them or whatever. So it, it doesn't then achieve its purpose. So I always say heal before you reveal, or someone said it another way once that I really like, share scars, not wounds. So wait wait till you've sort of, there's some space. But um, there's very few people that overshare. And, you know, and again, sometimes when I see people doing this without the skilling, is they that's what they think it is and that's what they think vulnerability is because there's a lot of talk about vulnerability at, at the moment and you know I, I do believe that the very best storytellers step into vulnerability but vulnerability isn't about oversharing so it's something you got to be careful of but I think it's a very you know a very big line so it's not a thin line it's not it's um you just need to be mindful of that so we're still a bit uptight and we're still, we're still controlled yeah. and we come to work with a mask and we want yeah. to believe yeah. the persona that we come to work with that we're not actually bringing our whole selves in yet. Yeah, exactly. And it looks, some people are different and some cultures are different, but the vast amount of my work I'm doing, and especially with leaders, is to say, you know, it's okay to share that. It's okay to say how you really felt. Um, you know, sometimes leaders will share a story and they'll say something like, I, I was anxious 
And afterwards I go, were you just anxious? Because that sounded terrifying. And they'll go like, oh, to tell you the truth, it was the scaredest I've ever been in my life. It was like, well, can you say that? Because that feels real, scaredest I've ever been in my life. Um, anxious is still very, very safe. So I think if if there's a problem between oversharing and there's a problem of not sharing enough, we are so, so, so in the, in the league of not sharing enough. And then, but with the leaders who are having to um, manage their teams in remotely, a lot of times with with being able to communicate with them, you would get the cues from working with them in the same environment. So now they've got to try to get that cue of if somebody is not sure, doesn't know, um, doesn't know enough about the product or the process or whatever. Because a lot of the storytelling in and in an office environment, I would think, would be explaining something to your team. At, in a way that it's instead of just saying, just do this, mm-hmm. we're doing this project because it's going to bring this business to the organization. It's going to be good for the customers. And these are the reasons why. So that kind of uh, story, that is a form of storytelling to be able to get that message across. Um, you're delivering it to so they understand and have buy-in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so absolutely, storytelling is critical around a few things. Uh, communicating your company's values and culture, you need to do that through stories. You can't just say, oh, we're a, we're a company that values diversity and work-life balance. It was like, so what? Like yeah. you need to share stories around that. Um, sharing stories about why we're doing the change is is definitely um, why this is important. But then you'd be sharing a lot of, you know, like customer stories or employee stories. So it's to me, it's about finding the messages you need to communicate and then communicating them in a, in a using a whole different amount of story. So, in I guess for the leader, it's their job to communicate it at the start. But then you're right; you, you've got to find a way to well, why aren't why aren't they following the process now? If it's something like why aren't they following the process? We you don't keep going on and on with logic, logic, logic because logic just informs. It's like how you could share a story of. I've, I've been involved in organisational change for over 30 years and I would absolutely say that the vast majority of why it fails or why it doesn't achieve the best it's meant to achieve is because leaders communicate it with logic and they stay on logic and all logic does is inform people, it does not influence them and it certainly does not inspire them. Yeah. So it's really about being very intentional and structured about the communication. If it's something really important, like a transformational change, or um, you're changing the nature of the, the workplace or how people are going to work. So I guess what I'm hearing is that as leaders, we're still going about it the old way and we're just winging it. We're not actually putting enough intentionality around our messaging and really thinking and structuring our communication to convey both the logic and the story. Yeah, yeah. And, and I actually call, you know, what I call it, I call it strategic storytelling. It, it, this has absolutely been strategic and deliberate in the way you communicate. And, Christine, I think you're right. A lot of leaders still do not understand that the biggest part of their role is communicating, that that is their job, whether it's the CEO or senior leader of your team. And it's not their job to get it, it's your job to help them get it. So you 
you do need to go through to give you a quick example i'll work with like um you know i work with a company and i'll work with say their senior leadership team or top couple of hundred leaders and they're about to roll out new values so they've got their values and they're communicating them or they might have even had them for three months and they want to communicate them through stories and let's just say one's integrity i will pick one of the senior leaders and go okay so one of your values is integrity just just tell me what that means to you personally. Like, don't don't worry about what the company says. It. What does it mean to you personally? And they'll go, um, well, it means you know, being telling the truth, I guess. You know, what else does it mean? And they'll go, um, gee, you've put me on the spot here. I really haven't thought about it this much before. And so they, these would be the senior execs, and I guarantee you, this would happen ninety five percent of the time. I run training. And I'm not blaming them. It's just going, they haven't gone through the process yet to say, what does this really, really mean to me personally? And especially around something around values and cultural change, if you don't understand what it means to you personally as a leader, then how are you going to live that? How are you going to communicate it? How are you going to share stories about it? And how are you going to do things that role model? that value so um you've got to be really really clear on what the message you're trying to get across and then i would say have you got a personal story to help communicate that that's so interesting because i remember one time i was doing an assignment for a large insurance company it was for a head of marketing and the md got me in there and he said you see this see this manual here it was about an inch thick he said have a look i flicked through it it was full of jargon full Mm. of Full of all kinds of stuff. He goes, I want someone who can take that manual and bring it down to about 10 pages at the very most. Mm. He goes, get rid of the jargon. He goes, because I can't even understand it. Yeah. And yeah. so he that meant the message was be- very clear. He wanted he wanted somebody who knew how to communicate what they were doing. Um, in an easy way that everybody can understand, which is marketing 101, isn't it? So mm. 12-year-old should understand what yeah. the marketing plan um, says. And, um, yeah. Yeah, don't get me started on jargon. I've, I've started a whole movement called Jargon Free Fridays. Jar- jargon, the unnecessary use of jargon and acronyms is just kills communication. And uh, the business world have become obsessed with acronyms. Like every something's three words and we reduce it to an acronym and it just it just it really causes miscommunication at the worst it's, it's just downright lazy in a lot of cases because what every time you use an acronym people then have to interpret what that means and you just better hope that they interpret it the way you expect it to be interpreted because yeah. for every single acronym there you use there are multiple variations of that same acronym it becomes exclusionary language. People yeah. don't feel included, especially when it's peppered with TLCs. Yep. There we go. I just did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. It's Absolutely. Good. And some it's people use it deliberately for that to exclude people. Which most is people, terrible. I know. Look, most people don't. Most people just aren't aware. It just they say it. So they're using it internally, perhaps with their team. Um, and then they go speak. You know, it could even be in the same company, but you know, people in finance will have their own set of acronyms, and risk will have their own marketing and IT. And you're using acronyms, and you're making an assumption that someone understands. You know that it's the same thing. You know, the, a little fun fact: the word acronym only entered the English dictionary in the 1940s after World War II, 
um, because it was used extensively during World War Two. One because they were using Morse code. Morse code, yeah. The other was when the enemy intercepted the message, they wouldn't understand what it meant. So let's have a think about that for a mm. second. For somehow we think using acronyms is an efficient way to communicate in business, and it's not. It's 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 extremely inefficient. Um, I mean, if every single person around the table understands the acronym, then yes, that's that is efficient. But the moment you start going out of your little bubble, you want to make sure that everyone understands it. What happens is it becomes a habit and then you start using those acronyms when you're in front of customers and and other experiences. We're going through, we're building a house at the moment and we're dealing with a wardrobe construction company and they have all these letters that mean all these different things and we can't get our head around is this this? Is it that? Is it the other? That's not customer friendly. That's not consumer friendly. It's an internal language that this organization's used for themselves, but it doesn't translate to a customer. And I see organizations do that all the time. Or the actually time. do brand damage because mm-hmm. they make the consumer feel stupid. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And, and and again, some organizations do that deliberately because, you know, I reckon the finance industry do it. Um, some yeah, of the, the consulting firms do it because, because then the clients are so confused that they feel like, oh, my God, I don't even know what to do. So I need to, to need your services. If I came to you as an executive keen to improve my skills, what would be some of the practical things that you would, let's say I'm quite introverted, I'm quite shy, I'm not a natural storyteller because it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you would be suggesting I practice? Yeah, uh, well, practice is right at the end. So what what I um, what I do with with uh, senior people is first of all, I, I always I never start with the story. It's always what's your message? What like what do you want to be known as? And and so for an individual, for example, um, and this can be for an individual or a whole company, is what do you want to be known for? Is normally around your values. So you know, even as a leader, what do you do? You want to be known as innovative, or do you want to be known as collaborative? Or so helping them get clear on what they want to be known for. And then I do take them through that process of like, well, what do you mean by that? So when you say collaborative, what do you actually mean by that? And then you're drilling down into like probably two or three or four different messages that fall under the collaborative. Then I take them through the process of how they think of all these potential stories they could share. So even from when they were a kid. So, you know, think of your earliest memory and then go through your life and think of all these things that have happened to you. And it's almost matching them and go, okay, so I've got a, you know, I've got a story around this that could work for that. So, again, really quick example, I remember I did work with um, uh, a CEO of one of the large professional service firms and he, one of the things he, you know, their company was doing three major pillars in the strategy and one was community. One was all about giving back to community. And so I was sitting down with him and go, well, you know, why is this important to you? And and he just, I, he just started, I just kept asking questions and, you know, get to the point where he said growing up as a kid, he, um, his mum, every time someone, he grew up in a pretty small, like, uh, community. And every time someone was sick, his mum would make casseroles for the whole family. And he goes, and I still remember, you know, me and my brothers having to walk behind mum, taking all the foods. And he just sort of, that, that was the way he was 
grown brought up that you would always give back to the community and he, he told me so many other stories about his parents doing this so he was raised this way so what he started to do is share that personal story about why community is important and then of course he would show he would tell the this you know these and this is why we're doing this at the company this is why we're supporting this and this is and he would tell the personal story and then bring in the work-related story so I truly believe that the personal story actually gives you credibility in what you're talking about. And, and it's not just like, you know, towing the market, uh, the company line. Yeah, it's that combination of head and heart, logic and yep. emotion. But it's about, and we've we've had previous podcasts where we've explored some of these similar issues. So it's beautiful to see this theme coming out that it's not just all logic, that it's also bring your heart, bring your emotion, bring that back connection which is part of the storytelling is bring bring both of those together to create that alchemy to get the message across yeah absolutely and again we're humans we're humans make a decisions based on emotion and they use logic to justify so you know whether you're buying the latest iPhone or a pair of shoes or a house or you're buying into working for a company or working for a leader or buying into a strategy you will do that on emotion and therefore the, the, the logic needs to be there. It needs to, of course, it needs to make logical sense. But the problem we make in business is we just lead with logic and we stay with logic and we get really frustrated that people aren't getting it or they're not changing or so it's because... Haven't they read the P&L? Don't they I know? know. I know. And so we have this ridiculous bias in business towards logic. We think logic does a hell of a lot more than it does. And I've said before, all logic does is inform people. It doesn't influence and engage them. And um, that and, and that's like, so you've got to have both. You do, you've got to have both. And we just, you know, got to even up that ledger because at the moment it's too, too heavily weighted for logic. And um, that's why we get frustrated why people don't, you know, why aren't they doing this? It makes such logical sense. It was like, yeah, well, tell a story. It's really got to be up to the top down as far as making people feel comfortable to, to be able to tell their story, because if they don't see it, they're not going to feel comfortable doing it. So if the, the manager isn't opening up, and, you know, telling a story about a, a situation or explaining something, then the team is not going to feel um, the same. And Absolutely. they're going to close up. So the, the training really does have to start at the top. And it's probably like we think about the industries around and at the top, there are people who probably haven't um, been willing to open up about because they've they've been learning that oh don't don't speak out of turn or don't tell people anything personal or don't show your emotions you know that will show weakness and be careful so they've got all that mm. so they really need to start over again and go okay if you want your team to open up and this to be a an environment where we can share stories active yep. stories and things then they need to see that they the younger ones need to see that the older ones are doing it so that they give that they have that cue that yeah. that's okay in this culture yeah it's 100 correct it was like and the vast majority of the work i do is we start we start with the senior exec team and then we get, then i go down to the next level because i have where I retelling fail so when you, if people go like how does it fail I can guarantee you where it fails is when the CEO 
and the senior leadership team think they don't need the training. Mm. Everyone out, everyone else needs this training, not us. And I just sit there and go, big, big mistake because normally, normally, if anyone's going, oh, I don't need storytelling, I've been doing it for years, I can guarantee you they might be doing it for years but not effectively. Um but what it, it, then exactly what that happens, Judith, is I train the next level down and they're willing to give it a go maybe in their teams. But if they don't see their senior leaders sharing it, there's almost this thing going, is it really acceptable to do this? And and they just sort of stop doing it. So, yeah. Why do they do it? Like why, why do they go to the time and effort and expense to do it if they're not willing to learn it themselves. So you kind of go, well, what are you just going through the motions for your team? And then you're not gonna show them that you're you're in the, you're in it with them. That's I, I I had a CEO call me in um and he wanted the top 40 people in his team to learn storytelling. And he said, because I've been communicating the strategy for about six months and they don't get it. And I'm sitting there going, so you want them to do communication training? And 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 he didn't want to be included in it. And it was just like, that is madness. So again, they're think he's thinking, I don't need. And I'm as soon as he told me, and I went, but you're the one that needs it because you're clearly not communicating the strategy to them. And then they, of course, then need it because they then need to communicate it down. But um, I, I, I don't know what's going on there. That's unreal. You know, those people, if I put my headhunter hat back on, those people where he won't, uh, where he's making them go through the process, but he won't, um, and they don't understand the story, they're they're in the danger zone. They're yeah. they're probably looking for other jobs, being headhunted or or whatever, because they're going. Well, why do I have to do that if he's not doing this and yeah. he's not explaining? It's not my fault. It's his fault. Yeah. <laughs> do you ever and feel I- like a counselor? Like because it's you're, you're taking people to places that for them in that moment is a scary place for them to go because they're feeling exposed. They don't want to look there. They don't want to dig there. They've never had to look or dig because they don't their inner yep. world doesn't operate that way. Do mm-hmm. you feel like you're counselling? Sometimes, yes. I, but what I what I don't want people to think is storytelling is about going really deep and sharing stuff that you wouldn't want to share. I've had times, and I, I don't do a lot of one-on-one work anymore because my, my calendar just doesn't allow it. I've had times where I've worked with, you know, senior leaders and they've shared stories and I'm just going, this is, you're not ready to share this. You don't want to be sharing this. You certainly don't want to be sharing it, you know, at the forum next week in front of 200 people. So advising them on what stories to share and not to share, but they're not the deepest, darkest fears ones. It's so, so let me give you, let me give you an example. I think we've been talking about storytelling, but I haven't given you an example because I, I think this is a great example of what I mean by business storytelling. And it's about, it doesn't necessarily need to be about showing vulnerabilities or going deep at all. It's your simple, almost day-to-day stories that work. So I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an example that I use all the time in my workshops because it's, I love it. So I did some work. This was like going back 10, 12 years ago with the risk team. So the entire risk team, the head of risk, her name was Rosemary. And Rosemary said to me that one of the biggest challenges she has is when she's communicating risk management to the, all the business units she supports, she goes, every time risk is raised, they just look at me and go, you're the risk manager. That's your job. And she said, it doesn't matter how many times I've told them 
It's not my job. My job is to help you manage risk. She goes, it's just the message doesn't get through. She, you know, she sort of said, I've given case study after case study, example after example. So she's been using logic to try to convince them that they need to take control of the risk, that, you know, all she can do is help them like manage their risks, but it wasn't changing. So this is the story she started to share. She said, when I was a kid, I grew up on a farm. And growing up on a farm, there was all these dangers we needed to be aware of, but mum would teach us what to do. So we knew what to do if we ever came across redback spiders in the timber heap and we knew about the potential traps in the dam after heavy rain and we knew what to do if we came across a snake in summer. And I remember this really hot day, mum was yelling at me to get my bike from the front gate because we were having visitors over for lunch or something. And so I ran down the path and then I just froze because in front of my bike was this massive copperhead snake but I remembered everything mum taught us to do so I played statues and I slowly walked backwards until there was enough space between me and the snake and I ran back to the house to tell mum and I'm sharing this with you because it reminds me of the role we play in risk all I can do is give you the skills knowledge and advice so when you come across your own copperhead snake regardless of what that looks like you will know what to do love it beautiful yeah and so so can I ask you three yes or no questions after that story that does that help you understand the role of a risk manager better oh yeah absolutely 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 do you think you'll remember that story yeah yes yes you will and again there's a whole lot of research that shows that a story only has to slightly tap into emotion and we'll remember it and do you think you could retell that story without losing its meaning? You wouldn't have to do it word for word, but do you think you could retell it without losing the meaning? Probably, so. yes. Yeah, I reckon you could do. So when you think about it, when you think about anyone, whether it's a leader or a salesperson or someone communicating to the board or to stakeholders, when you're communicating, your biggest challenges are, do people understand it, like really understand what they're saying? Can they remember it when the presentation's over, the meeting's finished, the conversation's ended? Can they actually remember it? And if they had to, could they retell it to other people without losing its meaning? And a story, a personal story, a simple little personal story like that will give you traction on those three things where, you know, facts, figures, all very interesting at the time, but very, very hard to remember. Yeah, and I was captured visually as well, I think. Yeah, so... So, Christina, one of the things I, you know, sort of say, did you visualise it? What a story does is helps you visualise and without you even knowing it's tapped into emotion, mm. without you even knowing. And so that's what a good story is. It's, it helps people visualise and feel something, which means they're more likely going to remember it and, and then actually do something different, like actually do something different or think something different or feel something different. And, again, especially like when you're leading change or, you know, trying to change behaviour or trying to change culture, you've got to get people to think something different, do something different or feel something different. And if you're just using logic to try to do that, good big luck. Big fail. Yeah, yeah, big fail. It's also very powerful for presentations. Oh, it's it's if, you, if you're doing a presentation, I, I reckon the most powerful ways you could start a presentation is with a personal story. Yeah. So you may... Imagine if, uh, you know, Rosemary was doing a presentation on risk management, like the first thing out of her mouth is to, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up on a farm, tell that story. And then literally, you know, what I want to talk to you today is about helping you identify all the potential copperhead snakes in your business. And almost the copperhead snake becomes the metaphor 
for risk and you would just start with that story and just keep referring back to the copperhead snake throughout and look and of course you're going to have lots of facts and data and case studies and examples and insights but the story is what will get everyone engaged and connected from and hooked in quickly yeah Yeah. that's the thing i was listening straight up yep yeah because as humans we are hardwired to listen to stories so I get so I get so many people go, oh, but could stories work with, you know, the finance team or the what? And I go, if your audience is human, they are hard. And now, you know, that might be debatable in some instances. I don't know. But they are hardwired to listen to stories. And they can't, you, you can't, when it's in your DNA, you can't go, oh, that's a story, not listening to that. That's Which is why we love music and why we love movies and why we love all of those sorts of things. Why we, why we, storytelling. Yep. why we love going out with our friends and, you know, we don't, and people go, well, can you have tell too many stories? You don't go out with your friends over dinner and you're, you're speaking for three hours. It's just story after story after story. No one goes, oh, hang on a minute. I'm sick of stories. Can someone throw me, a, show me a Gantt chart? Like, no, we're not doing that, but no. like, Yeah. So I would imagine that there's probably a lot of kids these days, especially the ones that have gone through university online, and now they're going to go into the work environment. What kind of advice would you give them about going in there and being not afraid to tell a story or to tell something and how they should maybe address it or... Yeah, look, you're right. I think, you know, I've, I've got two teenage daughters, 19 and 22, and especially the 19-year-old, you know, extremely confident, but this like, oh, I've got to speak to someone that's giving me anxiety. And I was like, and, you know, there's no denying that she spent the last three years, you know, not even at school. So I think I think that's not an easy fix. I think that would come with wisdom. I don't I don't think there's many 18 or 19-year-olds that just are really confident about speaking to people. So I think that will come. Um the, the storytelling yet could absolutely use what I what I would do for, for young people, especially entering the workplace for the first time, use stories. Um, even though you may not have any work experience, use stories from either when you're playing sport or doing dancing or I was speaking to someone the other day, a 21-year-old, and she was going for her first management job. And just by chance she was telling me she, because she's quite tiny, she used to be a cox in a rowing boat. And I went, oh, my God, use that as an example because that is the ultimate position of leadership. You are literally directing people that cannot see where they're going. And so it's thinking about how you could use those stories to go, oh, actually, that is a really good example of leadership or that is a really good example of time management or, you know, whatever it is. And so that's what I would say to young people. Don't think, oh, I don't have any stories because I don't have any work experience. The mo- the better stories are the ones that aren't related to work and that you make them related to work. Fantastic. Christina, what would you advise? I think a key message in all of this for me is that storytelling is is a critical skill. It's not a soft thing that you can dismiss. It's actually one of the core skills that you need to invest in and be intentional about alongside the other skills that you're building. So don't trivialise it. This is actually core to to your leadership. Mm. And it has, and you know, the other cool, it has so many applications. Like it is for presentations, it's for team meetings, it's for coaching sessions. Use it with your family and kids. It's so many applications, job interviews, anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is, is with the young ones going in for the first time, they, 
they do have a ton of stories that they could probably draw on from high school when they were in the debating team mm-hmm. or yep. they were team sports or they helped their little brother or sister with a project and and actually speaking to somebody about that like even when they're going through their resume process speaking to somebody about what because a lot of them will say I I don't know what my achievements are I don't know what I, I don't have anything and then you find out yes they do they actually do mm-hmm. have quite a lot of things which then if it's down on paper when they do get asked they can start remembering some of these things that they have done that might not have been a job, but it might have been maybe they worked um, with their parents doing charity work. There's all those types of things I think can can add value. But um, we we could talk about this. We could tell stories. Oh, boy, <laughs> could we tell stories, couldn't we? You know? <laughs> Our whole life is built on stories. But um, Thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate it. And it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I, we'd love to have you back and, and tell some more stories in the future. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, ladies. Thanks. Thanks. For more information about Every Step and our guests, head to everysteppodcast.com. To be notified of new podcasts, please subscribe via your favourite listening platform. And of course, follow us on social media and direct message us to share your ideas about guests or topics.